welcome to Healthy Vibrations once again. I know I've been missing for a while, but life's taken the better of me. So I'm back. Um, Healthy Vibrations, as you know, is a platform that brings together young change makers, trailblazers, and people who are here to effectuate change. And we are very blessed today. We have Shivam Gandhi with us, who is a advocate for improving mental health services within the South Asian community. And, and, and he acknowledges the role trauma plays in our society. In the past, he's facilitated a lot of webinars. I met him uh, in the North-South webina webinars, one of the uh, webinars that I was hosting or co-hosting, and that's where I met him. Uh, and he works on improving parent-child relationships within the South Asian community. And he's also volunteered at a lot of homeless shelters for teens. And when he's not doing any of this work, he's actually a computational biologist, and he's pursuing a PhD in systems biology at Harvard. So he has a lot to tell us about trauma, about his past, about the generational differences. So stay tuned as we go deep down. Hi, Shivam. Lovely to have you here. Thank you for being with us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm yeah, happy to be here. Lovely. So tell us, Shivam, uh, tell us about your journey. Tell us, tell us about you. Introduce yourself to the audience and what should they expect out of this podcast? Yeah, um, I mean, well, my journey, let's see. I grew up in a really dysfunctional household. Both my parents were quite violent. Um, you know, they were also immigrants from India and we were relatively poor for probably the first half of my life. And, you know, that informs a lot of what happened to me as a kid. So, you know, I would be uh, beaten pretty much every day um, for the first like 14 or so years of my life and lots of emotional abuse. And I thought that that was all normal. I also had an immense amount of pressure to get straight A's in school and a lot of um, very conservative mindsets that were instilled in me. And then went to college. I thought I was gonna just focus on academics, but then I learned that, okay, I'm more than an academic machine. So I started focusing a lot on my connections with people and then I made a lot of really good friendships. Unfortunately, I got in some very unhealthy relationships through which I learned I had complex PTSD. Um, and then I slowly began to unravel what happened in my home life, um, learning that my mother, she'd really placed a lot of her own pressures on me and in some ways used me as like a vessel for her own um, self-esteem. And that had nearly pushed me to suicide during college. Um, and then my father, you know, I've learned that I've had a much better relationship with him, but he was also a deeply broken man. And unfortunately, they had a very toxic dynamic. And this really shaped how I view relationships, viewed myself. I also was bullied pretty heavily in school. So um, got diagnosed, what, maybe three years ago at this point. And since then, I've just been doing a ton of work to really unravel that trauma. Um, at the very least, it'll make my life better. And I hope that by sharing my story, at least somebody might resonate and pursue therapy or something along those lines. So that's, yeah, that's kind of my shtick. Aside from that, I really love math and physics and trying to solve problems in biology using techniques from that. So that's why I'm going to get my PhD. Um, I play guitar. I like to play heavy metal, which is not standard for Indian kids. I love video games. So yeah, um, these are this is what I do today. 
So you're an anomaly in a lot of ways, Shiva. I think firstly, congratulations. You're extremely brave for coming on this platform. I don't know of any other individual who'd be able to share this journey in a public platform. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, very brave of you. Um, I, before I jump on to any of the questions I'd like to ask you is, are you willing to share some specific hurdles that you encountered as you were growing up in this country as an Indian American? And I think I'm a little bit unclear on one thing is all of the abuse that you mentioned. Did you grow up in the United States or did you grow up in India? No, I grew up in the States. So yeah, I'm, I'm willing to rip open my wounds and tell people exactly what happened because I think a lot of people skirt around it. And while it's understandable, you know, not everybody just wants to talk about their trauma. It's, um, it's a real problem. So yeah, I'll, yeah, ask me whatever. I'll go into painstaking detail. So trigger warning just ahead of time. So my first question, and I'm going to go completely off script here. What did the emotional abuse do to you? And yeah, so, how did you overcome it when you were 14 years old? Right now, you can understand it. But when you were going through it, what was going on in your mind? Oh, I mean, I don't even know if I can understand it right now. I mean, just today, I've been in a bit of a flashback, just, you know, reeling at the fact that, like, my mother um, manipulated me in so many ways. I mean, when I was 14, so I, I guess this is what happened. Um, up, in, up until the age of 10, you know, I loved giving to my parents, doing whatever they said to make them happy. And I think that's pretty normal for a child development. Correct. Once you stop viewing your parents as your primary source of self-identity and move on to using your peers as your primary source of self-identity, I wanted to individuate. But the issue is that the culture was way too restrictive to allow that. So in terms of emotional abuse, this would come through by saying, like, oh, you're such a bad kid. If I wanted to play video games... A lot of the other kids in my school, you know, they'd play Call of Duty and whatnot. And um, there would just be so much, like, if my if I expressed that I wanted to do that, they'd be like, oh, what's gone wrong with you? You've you've become so bad, you used to be so good. Or um, they'll really degrade American culture as, you know, like, oh, these Americans, they're all corrupt and look at us Indian people. By the way, I think that's total horse shit. Like, you know... I'm not saying that American culture is perfect, but like there's a reason there are so many social problems in India. And I think there are too many Indian people who are way too tied down to the existing culture. Culture is meant to evolve. So you can't you can't really do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess agree with you, especially on that one. I'm sorry to interrupt on this one, but I could not agree with you more. I think you rightly said culture is supposed to evolve and as your generation is growing up parents need to evolve with the generation and you should be able to voice and say that i don't like this without being judged or compared so i think yeah yeah so i mean other forms of emotional abuse yeah so there was physical abuse at home right like i'd get hit pretty frequently not just with hands but also with sticks I remember in terror, you know, I was hit with a ruler one time and I went through and I found all the rulers in my house and I threw them out um, because I was just so damn scared. But one of the things I would mention is like none of my other friends get hit. None of my other friends have to do all the stuff. And then they'd be like, oh, well, that's because we love you. And that forms a really, really bad dynamic in a child's head that this abuse is actually a show of love. And I think I, I think that's one of the reasons I got into an abusive relationship when I was in college. So 
it, what emotional abuse does is it basically tells you you are not okay as you are and you need to mold yourself to me and my emotions are more important and that is the worst possible message you can send to a child because the child learns to hate themselves and that's what happened to me and day by day you know i still have to work on learning to love different aspects of myself just like letting emotions sit in my body um telling myself okay you know it's okay to be angry if somebody mistreats you stuff like that and what the, the emotional abuse that you went through what would you say is an impact today can you point out specific impact that you that emotional abuse had that you're still dealing with yeah i mean i don't trust people um it sucks but i you know i'm in a loving relationship my girlfriend is amazing you know she's not perfect she's also come from you know she's had issues with her family and unfortunately she was bullied a lot growing up but i have a hard time trusting her and we've been dating for over 2 years and like if i if she like you know gets angry at me and i feel like it's unjust my walls come up and i basically start going into this mindset of i need to leave this person she is totally unsafe and this is destructive um it's not the way i want to run myself within a relationship it's not the way i want to live my life and it really causes me a lot of pain so one i hear is trust trust yeah. in relationships what yeah, is the trust. other specific impact that you can pick up well i mean i think that uh, that deep core belief that you're not lovable and the trust is really at the core of like so much wounding um and it also shows up in conflict avoidance because i am scared that if i reveal who i truly am reveal that okay something doesn't sit well with me i'm going to be abandoned and that's also really painful for me because what ends up happening is all i don't consciously do this anymore but i will unconsciously invalidate my own emotions until it gets to be too much and then i'll explode this is all avoidant attachment style by the way what i'm describing right here mhm mm Okay so what i'm hearing is because of the emotional abuse you develop trust issues you when you figure that you're not lovable conflict avoidance fear of abandonment and you invalidate yourself and did it also impact your self worth yeah i mean drastically yeah like that inability to be loved it's really comes from this idea that like i am worthless and i am shit and just that bleeds through so much in my patterns and working hard to undo that And where does your anger stand today? Have you been to therapy and how did you overcome your anger? Yeah, so I've been doing EMDR therapy for 3 years and I haven't overcome my anger actually. I feel like I'm reclaiming that for the most part now. Uh I'm only because I have sufficient anger am I able to show up on this podcast because beforehand it's like you know, I'd be scared that okay, if somebody listens to this and they go and say Shivam, you're just an ungrateful child. I would get tail spun into a you know I'd be traumatized again and now I can like tell that person to go fuck themselves frankly um and you know this is something that happens in the Indian community you have a child that speaks out because they're being abused and then other people will say oh you know this is just the culture like you know you're ungrateful or something like that so I'm still working on my anger and I'm I'm still very angry honestly like I don't think it just goes away I'm yeah. just better at Yeah and I it's not supposed to like anger is an important emotion it tells you when your boundaries are being violated and I I think it's just some sort of like 
you know, with civilization, I, I really believe that, like, civilization is attempt to, like, really contain these, like, animalistic impulses of, like, anger, rage, lust that exists within us because we're still animals, but it comes out in unhealthy ways. And, you know, American society has this very, like, oh, you should be positive attitude. But at the same time, like, we're uh, this country that's, like, going to war against like Iraq and manufacturing all kinds of notions of WMDs and whatnot. Like if more people understood their anger, where it came from and just accepted that it's part of them. then I think, I think we'd actually have a much healthier and more peaceful society. Thank you. And that's very well said, very, very well said. Here is what I will ask you a question. I think a lot of people don't recognize emotional abuse, especially in the Indian community. Neither do parents recognize it and nor do children recognize it because we all do it on the name of culture right yeah yeah impact that that this culture sort of culture that we like to call it uh has on the youth brains or as a child it deeply impacts them for the rest of them why don't you tell us i think a lot of people don't recognize emotional abuse uh and it's also cultural so we're not only talking about indian culture but we're talking about culture worldwide right that there are cultures that recognize emotional abuse and the cultures who just put it under the carpet and say it's cultural so tell us what are some of the signs of emotional abuse that has a deep impact on a young child's mind yeah um the sign of emotional abuse it's really just whenever the child feels like they're not valid as for who they are and I, I really think emotional abuse is a tactic that the parents maintain, that the parents use to maintain power over their children. And this is one thing I've learned, that abuse is pretty much always a power tactic. Um, so what are signs of emotional abuse? I mean, signs that a child has been emotionally abused is that they, they seem consistently shut down or unable to express certain emotions. Um, you know, you can see this in other people. I think one of the big things I saw growing up is children who apologize too much. If they're constantly mm -hmm. saying sorry, you know, there's a reason they're saying sorry so much. It's because they're scared that somebody's going to lash out at them. So I think mm -hmm. that's a sign of a child being emotionally abused. Um, another one is just like an inability to socialize with other kids. And, you know, like there's a whole conversation about neurodiversity and you know, people who like to socialize in different manners. But if a kid is very hesitant to socialize with other people, um, it might be because they really don't feel the parents are like, they don't feel people are safe. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's a big one. So social anxiety, is it safe to say that we can link social anxiety to childhood abuse? Part of it? Um, yeah, I, I think things are a little bit more complicated than a uh, simple linkage there. I mean, you know, there's I'm also trauma. Yeah, there's, there's also trauma that happens in schools. And I think actually that might be a bigger role for social anxiety more than anything else. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so some of the signs that Shivam just pointed out, one, just to repeat, uh, one is if, if your child apologizes too much, or if a young adult, if you as a young adult apologize too much, or you have the inability to social uh, socialize or carry social anxiety, these could probably be linked to your trauma, whether that's uh, trauma in a parent-child relationship, or that's trauma in school, or that's bullying, but it's some kind of trauma. Is that safe to say, Shiva? Yeah, I think at the core of it, it's like, do you fight 
fly, flight, freeze, or fawn. Like those are the four different Correct. reactions. And okay. you go into that frequently. And if, if it's like, if you're going into that and there's not like a bear attacking you, there's a good chance that that's just a pattern that you've learned because of some existing trauma. And that could be emotional abuse, could be physical or sexual abuse. You know, unfortunately, lots of different ways to hurt people. Okay, so moving on from the trauma, tell me, um, tell me, Shivam, uh, my next question to you. What specific hurdles did you encounter? And we're going to move on to now you being raised as an Indian American. What did you encounter as you were growing up in this country, country as an Indian American? Yeah, I mean, okay, so when you're being abused at home, that does carry into school. And, you know, if both your parents are hitting you you do kind of learn to armor yourself and shell up. At least that's what I did. So I'd go to school and unfortunately, because I'm being bullied at home, I make a good target for other people to bully. So I, you know, got pushed around. Um, one of the worst things was um, I was spit on one time in the bus. That was really one of the worst incidences. Um, had things thrown at me just generally called names. And I think a big part of this is because Indians are seen as, you know, first of all, we're a minority, but especially Indian men are seen as weak. So that's a easy way for people to try and dominate us. Um, and for the longest time, I really did hate the fact that I was Indian. And it's really unfortunate. I think a lot of children who are minorities grow up with this sort of self-hatred because there is this kind of mental hierarchy for race that you learn growing up in this country as a kid um you know as much as people try and deny it it's there and <laughs> yeah that's, that's a whole other story but yeah there was that and then um you know just the pressures of like being the ideal indian kid at home from my parents and then going to school and just trying to not be indian as much as possible so that I could maybe fit in even like a margin, marginal amount. That was very difficult. So do you think that's a, you know, a lot of people, I hear a lot of parents who come to me and turn around and say that my, my child hates the Indian culture. They want, they come home and they turn around and tell me, you don't understand um, what we go through. Do you think that a lot of what you go through as an, in an Indian household, because uh, we're going to a complete diverse culture outside. And when we come back home, that culture is not in some of homes. I'm not going to say in all homes. Obviously, in some homes, American culture is not adopted. So that makes the child hate the Indian culture because his views, are, his or her views are not being kept in, um, are not being considered. Sorry, can you repeat the question? So a lot of parents come and they say, you just mentioned that when you went out to schools or to your, to your school and you saw a completely different culture, it was very difficult for you to come back and adjust to the Indian culture. Did I hear that right? Or did I miss yeah. something? Um, right. Not, I mean, like. Not, not really. I honestly, I was always marching to the beat of my own drum. Um, okay. Yeah. So, sorry, but keep going. So, as an Indian American, you because you were bullied at home, according to you, you also became an easy target for the children at school to bully you. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. 
Now, how did you get over this hump? Um, <laughs> I don't think I did. I think what ended up happening was I just developed, like, I just walled myself off from people even more. And I frankly became a little bit misanthropic um, because, you know, if children can be this cruel, then it's like, I hate people. And, <laughs> you know, for the last few months, I've actually been joking that I'm a misanthrope. Um, I don't think I am. You know, I, I do. I do want the best for people. But, you know, people are so cruel at times, too. And I think the worst thing is when people justify their cruelty. Um, so I didn't I didn't really cope with it. Um, I just shelled myself off and I, I stuck to the few things of myself that I could reliably call, you know, part of me. And that involved just doing math and physics for fun playing heavy metal as a as, on the guitar and um yeah i guess my video games um so i refuse to identify with american culture too because you know i saw how fucked up that was too um uh yeah that's that's a whole other story i could get into that but yeah i, I didn't really drink the kool-aid of like trying to trying to become a white kid in a sense yeah, so you didn't associate with Indian culture, you didn't associate with American culture either. Yeah, and, uh, and honestly... I, I and I think don't. a lot of people will resonate with that. Yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I still don't. I still, I kind of, I don't consider myself acultural, you know. Like, culture is probably just any sort of social norms, like tacit or explicit, that occur when you have groups of people and... You know, I am part of a culture, you know, I'm in the academic culture and whatnot, but I'm hyper aware of like what the culture around me is. And I think, you know, part of it is my ego. Um, I frequently try and go against that in a sense. Um, I don't know how healthy that is necessarily, but I I do actually appreciate things from a diverse range of cultures. Like I really like Eastern philosophy, especially things from Indian culture, like the yogic philosophies and whatnot. Um, at the same time, like I've learned Latin partner dancing because I really enjoy that. Um, I really like notions of freedom, although I don't know how good America is actually at going on its stated purpose of freedom. You know, like I, I think it's good to get the diverse range of human experience and really see what resonates with you. Absolutely. I think culture is just putting yourself in a box and there are lots of uh, things that are good in one culture and not good in the other. And I think every culture has that, right? So let me ask you a question, Shivam. A lot of, and this goes back to my understanding of Indian uh, Indian male society. Mm -hmm. I think in India, as we are taught, especially boys or men are taught not to express their emotions because it's a sign of weakness. and that is carried on onto our youngsters today, where they feel that crying, as you say, you're a boy, you can't cry. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you're a boy, you can't hurt. You have to be strong. You have to be big. You know, you can't behave like a girl. That's that's the worst one that I've heard. So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, well, so talk to I our think... youth. Talk to all our male youth. And tell them what you believe and how they should be. And if there's there's any of this that is in their heads because it's cultural, then they need to remove it. So, yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think those notions are really, they're, they're bullshit, frankly. Um, They're toxic. But yeah, they're unhealthy. Um, 
I'm not going to tell people how they should be. I think that's the worst possible thing, actually. Um, uh, you know, I could say, oh, a man should be X, Y, and Z, but it's more like, you know, I've kind of adopted the, um, I guess, the Eastern view of what masculinity and femininity are in terms of, like, they're just energies that live within people. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't think there's any point in being proud to be a man or proud, proud to be a woman. Um, I'm, like, you know, for some people it works for them, you know, like I think some, some people who are really abused, especially women, they are proud to be a woman and, you know, I support that, but like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to say and that. Just like, to be proud to be who you are and the importance of expressing emotions. I think that's what I'm getting at is yeah, what yeah. is the importance of expressing emotions? Yeah, you know, so like even, you know, men also have that core desire for love and that's the strongest force there is for humanity. And when you deny that in yourself, um, and unfortunately it controls you and it's really painful. And, you know, if I, this is something I say, if you're a guy who really values being strong um, and you deny your emotions, what I'm going to tell you is that you're letting your emotions have power over you. And you're actually really making yourself weak. So there's kind of a paradox in that way of being. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with expressing your emotions. Obviously, you want to do it in a, a healthy manner. Um, you know, a lot of abusive men actually are very anxious, very needy, really. And they'll often say that, like, oh, no, I'm trying to be a real man. You know, a real man will treat you this way or that way you know, trying to fit women into certain roles. I think, yeah, on another point, a lot of men who um, really try and define very narrow roles for men and women are actually just deeply scared. And unfortunately, they can't identify that within themselves, but they're scared because if they don't know how to approach this relationship within a narrow defined set of constructs, they're scared they won't be loved or they're scared that they'll lose power. So, yeah, like, you know, don't let anybody tell you who to be. Um, you want to find people who are interested in getting to know you for you and not from a specific lens. Um, I think on, on the flip side, I think the usage of the word toxic masculinity has been uh, kind of used in a almost like militaristic manner. There are a lot of men that I've met who really do want to have like healthy, meaningful relationships with women but they do actually feel like hurt by these kinds of terms. And I think, you know, sometimes the left wing doesn't know how powerful some of these terms are and that you can't really generalize men in, uh, in terms of like a full bucket. Like I'm an example of, I'm a domestic violence survivor. One of my girlfriends, you know, she was incredibly angry. She would smash containers around me. Um, so you know, not all abusers are men. And I think we should, yeah. as a society, do a better job of supporting men um, who might be victims of abuse. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think uh, this tells us the importance of expressing emotions, but expressing emotions in the right way. And if we don't express our emotions, then they turn into anger and rage and self-harm and harm yeah. to the community and the society. So expressing emotions, and I always tell everybody, I think every human being, and this is just my personal view, every human being should go to therapy, including me, because we all <laughs> carry all of this stuff. I go to therapy myself. 
I go to therapy yeah. on a regular basis because oh, I think we all great. accumulate stuff every day from various relationships and just life in general. So it's always good to go to a therapist and get and unload and get the right perspective. So that's just my thought. So expressing emotions is one of the best ways to step into your maximum potential. That's what I'm going to say. And let me ask you a question moving on to have you what? How do you feel about, because I, I think I feel very strongly about healing your relationship with your parents to arrive where you want to arrive. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's been a very difficult one for me. I mean, you know, I've cut off contact with my mom. I haven't spoken with her in person for over two years now. Um, I, that relationship was just way too manipulative and unhealthy for me. Um, and I wish I could, you know, I had a better relationship with my dad, but unfortunately some people are just too kind of lost in the sauce in a way, like they're really too, too traumatized to be able to break out of the family system. Um, you know, I would love to have a better relationship with my dad. I've, I think internally I've just come to realize that they're both like these children who are in adult bodies who have been severely traumatized, like they are really hurt people. And I, I've, you know, that's helped me kind of forgive them to some extent and also not really take what they say so seriously. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like expressing that anger and rage is important for survivors to be able to you know, set their boundaries and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for how to heal your relationship with your parents. Just I, I don't think it's the how. I think it's the importance. Um, I feel like I think, because yeah. they're your foundation, at some I, point you have to heal it. Yeah, you, you need to heal it and you need to realize that, like, you know, at the end of the day, you're still, you were a child that really wanted and deserved love. And unfortunately, you might not have gotten that. And realizing that your parents, you know, they're not perfect. So I think that's a big one. That. That's yeah. a big one. Because we all place our parents on pedestals and they're just humans, right? And we can yeah. heal our relationship yeah. with our parents by understanding that, look, they are who they are. And it's all right for them to be who they are. Yes, I wanted something and I didn't get it. But at the same time, I'm angry. But let me take out my anger. But there's no point... Um, blaming them for the rest of my their life because it's only hurting me i can create my boundaries but it's really hurting me right so somewhere yeah, yeah so have you been again back to your back to my question what do you think is the role of laying your childhood trauma to rest to move into your maximum potential and bridge the generation divide so you're going to harvard now you're going to do a phd right what do you think your trauma your childhood trauma, does it play a role in it? And do you think you need to rest it? Um, yeah, you know, I don't think there's ever a point where it just kind of gets put to rest. It's like a daily practice. Like, you know, one thing I'm realizing right now is like I was on the verge of having a panic attack just five seconds ago because I'm speaking about, about stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I've learned about something about myself today that like, okay, I'm overzealous about talking about trauma and, and you know, this can happen. Um, you learn about it every day and you know if you're growing ideally you'll just keep learning and i think that's important um it's for my maximum potential i i think you know i think that terminology terminology can be dangerous at times because it's 
we're all kind of told in this capitalistic society to try and chase our maximum potential. And it's like, I don't want my maximum potential. I just want a good night's rest. I have a hard time sleeping. Like, I'd much rather that, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. and I okay, think... Okay, so maybe your maximum potential is getting a good night's sleep. If yeah, you were to yeah. look at it like I, that, I think, right? I think it's peace and happiness, really. Like, correct, I wanna, correct. I want to have peace. And I, I really think that, like, you know... When you're at peace with yourself, you can do the things that actually matter to you. And when you're doing things that matter to you, it's much easier. I'm not saying that it's easy necessarily, but like, you know, your head's clear. You're able to kind of say like, okay, this is why I'm living. And you go ahead and do that. And maybe that's that's your maximal potential. And, you know, one thing is like I've, you know, in healing childhood trauma, I've been able to work on a lot of the anxiety and depression that I face and I still face. And that really makes my head more clear as to what my values are, what I actually want to do with my life in terms of work. And, um, you know, I feel like I've gained a couple of IQ points through this whole thing. Um, Like I've I've really seen it on that front. Um, So, yeah, I think it's really important. And I think, you know, once again, in this capitalistic culture, nobody wants to take a breather and be like, okay, like, why don't I just tend to myself for a bit? But I, I would say that it's it's really worth doing because, okay, you know, if you buy into this mindset that, like, the purpose of your life is to maximize some output, like, it doesn't help. No. It doesn't hurt. Well, I think no, there are a lot so of when people, I say no, maximum not, not, you, put- not you, but, like, just generally people. I think a lot of Indian Indian people especially, like, you know, like for these kinds of people, I think it's worth knowing why you're doing that. It wouldn't hurt to know. But at the same time, you know, doing this sort of trauma healing work, you know, if this is ultimately the path that you want to go down, you're going to be more effective. You're going to be smarter. You'll be able to work with people better, things like that. So, you know, I would so I think everybody. I'm an anomaly. I normally don't. I normally know. I don't. I don't tie a human being to academic excellence. And I think that's why a lot of people kind of shy away from me because I'm I'm a rebel just like you. Right? I always was because I don't think I judge. I don't judge a child by academic excellence. So when I say yeah. maximize your potential, I'm a strong believer that if you're not internally at peace with yourself, you're not going to be able to do anything. And maybe your maximum potential is to step into that peace is what I mean. Or get a good night rest, like a good night's sleep, so you can think the next morning what serves you best. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Like, you can't really do the meaningful work you were kind of put on this earth to do without really being at peace and knowing yourself and being like, okay, this is who I am. I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with that. And put putting all of your past to rest, I think that's very important. And I don't, I, I think... It took me a very, very long time to put my past to rest. And I think I still struggle a little bit somewhere on days when I can't put my past to rest. But I think it's very, very important. I do it through yoga and meditation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's very important to move forward and grow your own personality or grow your own self as a human. Not what you want to achieve, but as a human. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I think that's where I was going back. Uh, oh, we're running short on time. Okay, so tell me. So we've learned a lot today. I'm sure my one last question, which I think I missed, is a lot of pe- a lot of young boys, they struggle with finding good role models, especially if they don't have a father that they can relate with. 
So what did you do to find yourself good role models and how, what did you do and did you ever improve your relationship with your father? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think, unfortunately, with our culture, a lot of boys become hyper fixated on sex as their mm-hmm. means to validation and emotional connection. So Correct. the ultimately, a lot of um, a lot of the role models people seek out are people who will teach them how to get laid or how to talk to girls or like things like that. And unfortunately, you get the snake oil salesmen like Andrew Tate and Yes, you know, Andrew Tate, the famous like, Andrew Tate. Yeah, you know, if you're somebody listening and you like the guy, like, you have to, I think it's worth looking at how consistent a person is in terms of, like, their actions. And, you know, that guy was, I think he was arrested for, like, sex trafficking at some point. So that's not really, that's not really somebody who's good with women. I'll just be honest. But, um, you know, finding good male role models, I think, you I think it's important to find the ones who aren't like frankly aren't dominated by like what their relationship with women is like um because I think that's the pro- that's that's what progress for a man looks like for many men I think um just learning to have healthy relationships with women not being so hung up on sex um finding internal value that isn't related to how women are responding to you um, I really like Mark Manson, you know, I still, I still listen to his videos, but his book models, it's about mm-hmm. how to, um, like engage with women from a place of honesty and authenticity. And it really emphasizes on how to communicate who you are, um, really live according to your own values. And I guess it de-emphasizes the, uh, role women play in your identity. Um, another guy I like is Terry Real. Um, I like a lot of the Buddhist teachers like Jack Cornfield. He's, um, you know, he's a, you listen to him, he's a very peaceful person. But like, you listen to some of his stories of when he was a monk, he went through some really, like, really tough times um, and very enduring soul. So I think that's another, that's another paradox of being a man. Like, if you need to advertise that you're a man, you're probably, <laughs> you're probably overcompensating and you're not actually that confident. Um, so that's what I'd say a lot about a lot of these like red pill people. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I'm, I'm pretty not conservative. I think a lot of conservative points of view on masculinity are really just going to hold you back and keep you depressed. And ultimately you'll be left in the dirt because luckily women are realizing that like these conservative values are just not helpful and not, not healthy to them. So, you know, um, if you really strongly abide by these conservative values, you're just going to see that burn down in the future. I'm sorry to tell you that, but that's just the reality. Yeah, we all need a reality check. Thank you. Our youth does need a reality check. So thank you for that. One last message that you'd like to communicate to our youth. Don't let and anybody tell you. About it. Uh-huh. Yeah, ahead, yeah. I, I, would say, I would say don't let anybody tell you who to be, which is kind of ironic because I just told you that, like, you know, don't do the conservative thing. You know, if you fully believe that that is true to who you are, then sure. Um, but yeah, you know, you should listen listen to everything I just said. Maybe some things resonate. Maybe some things don't. Throw out the things that don't resonate. Try out the things that do. Maybe, maybe you find that it works for you. And then, you know, try that out for some time. But, you know, always just, I'd say, take a critical lens to the things you're told and try and be around people who 
really want to get to know you for you as opposed to like projecting some notion of who you should be. Thank you, Shivan. That was a great conversation. Once again, very brave of you to come and share on a public platform and very, very grateful to have you uh, with us. I'm sure a lot of youth will resonate with you and people who are not talking will hopefully come forward and recognize emotional abuse and talk about it. So thank you for being with us. It was great having you. Yeah, yeah. Happy to help. Thank you so much. Thank you.